It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box, the show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, May 3rd, after an LA Galaxy 3-0 loss to Seattle up in Seattle. Uh, An ugly game for the Galaxy. I don't know that anybody should be overly surprised by it. We're going to talk a whole bunch about the game, about the lineup, about Greg Vanny, and what he decided to do in this game against Seattle. So a bunch to talk about to get through that. And, of course, it is Rivalry Week. LA Galaxy facing off against LAFC coming up on Saturday, so I'm sure there will be a little of that talk sprinkled throughout as well. We got a lot of information coming your way. Glad you could join us to help me through all this today. He's back. Maybe he has two feet, working feet. I don't know. We haven't talked to him in quite a while about his feet, so uh, welcome back to the show, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kev, how's it going, buddy? All right. How are you? I'm d- I'm d- what about the feet, Kev? Did, are they still both broken, or did, did we get past that? No, I still have one more visit back to the doctor. Uh, they're, uh, I think they're unbroken. I can walk on them. Um, but um, I haven't been cleared to play yet. No contact. <laughs> no no contact? No. Mrs. Hey, Panda he, can't check you into the boards uh, in, in the kitchen there? She tries, <laughs> but uh, I elude her. Um, you know, at, that game in Seattle, Sasha Kleschen talked about it afterwards. He said he knew they weren't going to go undefeated, which was a surprise to me. <laughs> but I guess probably... Uh, the good answer, you know, Seattle, there's a lot of talk about the galaxy might've been favored going into that game. No way. Seattle, they're undefeated. They played in four of the last five MLS cups. So historically they're good this year. They're undefeated. They have the best goal differential MLS. They have eight goals, one against, they gave up only one goal. They have two shutouts in three games. Um, they have the best record in the Western conference. The only other team in MLS, I believe with seven points or at least the Eastern conference leaders Friend of ours, Bruce Arena. Yeah, New England Revolution. I guess that guy's a pretty good coach. He he seems he always seems to get his teams. You know, this is the the Bruce year, right? The second year after uh, after taking over, after really sort of digging in things. Uh, yeah, Bruce could be could be dangerous. No, but uh, listen, I don't think anybody would say that that Seattle was favored. But there's this. There's this league sort of uh, narrative that is going around that Seattle was not going to be good this year and that, you know, everything was going to fall. I mean, you know, Greg Vanny talked about Seattle specifically after the game, Kevin, and Greg Vanny said specifically after the game that they are the standard bearer as far as he was concerned over the last four five years. No team has been better than Seattle. And, you know, here he's talking about a Toronto team that had one of the the best seasons ever. But in terms of organization, in terms of putting stuff together, Seattle has been a super successful organization. I don't think people remember this because I certainly was talking to people in Discord and on Twitter about this as well. But when you look at 
even when Bruce Arena was around and what he would do in Seattle. Yes, occasionally they would win a game up there. Seattle was not quite the juggernaut that they are now. But at the same time, Bruce would go up there and scramble to get draws a lot, too. So it's a place you go to survive, Kevin. It's not a place unless you're the Sounders that you go to thrive. And I think um, the L.A. Galaxy, a a work in progress. Nobody's going to disagree with that. But a work in progress ran into the buzzsaw that is the Seattle Sounders. And uh, as my good friend John told me, he says, you know what? The L.A. Galaxy don't need to be better than Seattle in May. They need to be better than Seattle in the playoffs. And so that's something that the Galaxy can work on and progress into this season is one, make the playoffs and two, be better than Seattle at the end of the season. At the beginning of the season, the third game in with a, you know, a patchwork sort of start, a whole bunch of things um, they are going, you know, that's a that's a difficult ask for the Galaxy to go up there and get a win. And I got a whole bunch of flack on the podcast on Thursday night, Kevin, because I said the Galaxy wouldn't win this game um, and they didn't. And I, I don't think it's a stretch to say I don't think they had a chance at winning this game for for most of it. Well, and Seattle is so tough at home, and it's not just the turf. The turf certainly helps them. It's one of the few places in the league where there is turf, so they have an advantage. Uh, it looks like this, this is great. We're live, and, and Kevin just goes uh, goes dark for a little bit. All right, I'm sure we'll get him back here in just just a second. So, am I back yet? Yeah, Hello? we got you. Hello? We got you back. Oh. You're, you're back. Oh, I'm wow. back. What do you What do you know? But uh, I was going to say that you're right. It's not just the turf. Although it was funny, did you hear Sasha Kleshin, uh in post game says that he actually likes playing on turf? I think I think some players do. I don't think a, a majority of players do. But the reason people talk about Seattle maybe not being strong this year is because Jordan Morris is gone, right? He got hurt at Swansea, out for the season. Nicholas Ladero did not start the season with them. Yet, as I said, you know, they already have eight goals. The only goal they've given up was that a Twesta free kick uh, against LAFC when uh, Stefan Fry did not lay a defender down and the ball went under the wall. and got. So you can call that a freak goal. It was a great shot by Atuesta, but still kind of a freaky goal. That's the only goal they've given up. Otherwise, they'd have three straight shutouts. Yeah, it's uh, they're a good team. They they will remain a good team in the Galaxy. Just didn't put it together. Uh, again, sort of a 3 nothing loss there. Um, you know what? I'm going to call this a 2 nothing loss, and I love making people angry whenever I take goals away from other. You know what? The, the third goal is so not... It does not matter. Do not worry about it. You're gonna. It's going to be counted in the stats, and everybody's really going to freak out about it. That third goal doesn't matter, not whenever your team is stretched. Uh, that happened a lot in the GBS days as well. You play from behind, Kevin. You stretch the field. You give up goals. That goal is not necessarily one where you sit there and you say, well, we need to study how that happened and why that broke down. That doesn't matter. Uh, the first two goals, those are the big problems for the LA Galaxy. But uh, Greg Vanny here, Kevin, a little bit switch of a lineup, had some injuries that he had to work through a little bit, um, had some some people that he needed to get minutes. Uh, I've seen some criticism saying, Greg Vanny, you were winning two games in a row. Why change something? Well, first of all, there was change between the first game and the second game because we know Sebastian Legette played in the first game, not the second game. Um, we know that there was some rotations and some different things in here. But if we look at this starting lineup, uh, there were some not interesting choices. I don't have any issues with what Greg Vanny put together here. Is there any really huge surprises from from the starting lineup, Kevin? When I looked at it, I was surprised to see Efren Alvarez in there. And I was also surprised to see... Uh, uh, Williams starting. I didn't think he was. Re- I hadn't heard any talk about him being ready, so I was a little bit surprised to see him in there. Yeah, um, Williams was was sort of day to day the game before, and we all wondered whether or not he would he would go and play on turf. Um, and I, you know, Greg Vanny, no hesitation there in starting him. Um, listen, I mean, the back line here that you have: Viafania, Steres, Williams, Fisher, and then in the midfield, Vasquez, Dos Santos, and Alvarez. Uh, Grant Schuh up on top on the left wing, Araujo playing on the right wing, which is a position we saw him play last year. Um, he's in there, and then Chicharito up top, Jonathan Bond in goal. So, uh, again, there's there's some things. Now, 
I think it's interesting. At first, I looked at this and said, well, Saldana's on the bench. Adam Saldana's on the bench. So clearly, Greg Vandy decided that this was a coach's decision. He was going to sit Saldana um, and put in Efrain Alvarez against a very experienced Seattle team. But what actually looks like happened here um, is that Saldana was injured at some point, um, either in the last game or through the through the week and only trained once with the LA Galaxy during the week. And so Vandy was like, hey, I'm not going to play him then, or at least I'm not going to start him. And so he put Efrain Alvarez in there. Now, for all the people who are championing championing um Efrain Alvarez as the next coming um I would say that you know he he got a start by default in this um mostly because uh you know Vanny had to sit Saldana I imagine that if Saldana was happy even though he hadn't been playing great we know he struggled through the first two games that perhaps Adam Saldana also gets the the, the start in Seattle as well change as little as possible but Regardless of that saying, Kevin, uh, 11th start for Efrain Alvarez in the last three years. I think it was his 31st appearance overall. Um, those are sort of some some crazy numbers when you realize he's been with the senior team for three years and only has um, 11 starts in that um, and then and just 31 appearances. Yes. And the reason, of course, there was even a discussion about that is because Sebastian Legette was not available because of the suspension. Right. Um, and, you know, and I wondered, I mean, this is, you know, 2020 hindsight. I, I wondered where Zubek was um, because he and Chicharito have that great chemistry. And, and I don't think Chicharito had a shot yesterday. So um, was that a Zubek effect or, or what was that all about? Yeah, it's uh, that, that's. You know, I call him the Chicho Whisperer, uh, Ethan Zubak, because uh, Chich- Chicharito hasn't scored a goal without Ethan Zubak on the field. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's certain something to that. I think that Vanny's a little hesitant to put Zubak into that 4-4-2 sort of position from the get-go and knowing that maybe he can't give a 90-minute performance in that position. Um, maybe that he'll get tired or maybe he's still trying to give some flexibility. But when we look at the formation, um, you know, there was a there was a real change at halftime and we can talk about that. But when we look at this formation, sort of sitting in, you know, a 4-3-3, if you want to call it that, um, it probably didn't play that way as much as everybody would like to think it did. It probably played more as a 4-1-4-1 with Dos Santos being the defensive midfielder and Vasquez and Alvarez being the central attacking midfielders. Um, and then you had uh, Grancia and Araujo sort of pushing up to try to join Chicharito. The problem was, at least in this game and at least in the first half, is that uh, Seattle did a good job of clogging the center of the field. They did a great job throughout the entire game of denying Chicharito any type of service, Kevin. Uh, one shot. He had a bunch of touches. Actually, you know, Larry Larry was Larry Morgan was watching the show or watching the, the, the game and said, how many touches did Chicharito had? I bet it was not more than one or two. Right. And I was like, actually, it's like 15 or 16 whenever you look at where he picked up the ball and his passing and all the different things. So he did have some touches. Just none of them were in dangerous spots, save for one uh, that he pushed wide. So, um, you know, for me uh, and, and Greg Vanny saw this, um, it was it was a it was something that he tried. And Vanny, Kevin, raised his hand right away as soon as we started asking questions and said, I'm taking the heat for for what happened in the first half and really what happened in this game. I tried to change something. Um, and whenever I changed something, it didn't work. He goes and, and literally he, he said, you know, it's something I won't try again. It was one of those. It was like, I learned I'm done. I don't need to try that again. And is there any criticism there for, for Greg Vanny? Well, I wanted to touch on a couple other things you talked about because you mentioned Chicharito. You know, he has five of their six goals. He has uh, half of their shots on goal. They have the team has 12 shots on goal. Chicharito was six. They, the, um, and he has seven shots total. The point being that, um, 
you know, no one's close to him in those stats. So if you're breaking down the galaxy, the offense is going through Chicharito at some point. So, you know, we talked last week when you're a poacher, it's hard to be taken out of the game, but Seattle did that. And when they took Chicharito out of the game, that was the end of the galaxy offense because everyone's looking for Chicharito all the time. The second part up was Chicharito had to come way up field to get the ball because there was no connection between the back line and the midfield. And Chicharito had to come up way up field. That's not where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be down around the box. So when he's up at, you know, near the midfield stripe, or at least the circle, he's not in position to be dangerous. Then he has to dribble in, in, in to the, you know, deep into the saddle end, and all of a sudden defenders get a chance to react. So that's where that fell apart. When you look at the defense, though, um, Fanny has started a, a four-man combination in the back line. He started three different combinations in the three different games. He talked yesterday about the need for a holding midfielder. They didn't have one. They really need one. He's talked all winter about getting one. They're always on the verge of signing one. That hasn't come through yet. He needs that defensive midfielder. Um, it, it's the, it, it, it feels different from the GBS years. The defense is still a problem. It feels different. It feels like Greg knows what the problem is, but he just can't fix it. But the fact of the matter is only uh, Cincinnati's given up more shots on target. Uh, they've given up 29. Uh, Galaxy have given up 23. Jonathan Bond leads the league with 16 saves. Yes, he's given up uh, 17, or he's given up, uh, what, seven, seven goals. Seven goals, yep. Yeah, but he has 16 saves. Uh, they faced 50 shots total. Um, where would they be without him? O- only Cincinnati's given up more goals. They've given up 10. Um, you know, Jonathan Bond, I think, has played really well, and yet he's second in the league in goals allowed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and not, not I, I think, n- n- to his credit, not his fault, right? I mean, most of us can agree that the goals that Jonathan Bond have given up have not been as a result of him screwing up or, or something like that. It's been a result, really, of the defense and the midfield not 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 taking the chances that are coming seriously. And it was so interesting to see Greg Vanny talking about um, the defense. And, you know, I think Scott French sort of asked him, you know, is the defense where he, where you want it to be right now? As in you're progressing this defense. You understand, is it where you want it to be? It's like, no, it's not, not even along the path of getting better. Are we where we're supposed to be? Um, Vanny talked about, uh, you know, stepping up into space to take away chances that sometimes put themselves at, uh, put the, defense at more risk of giving up a goal than than defending the space that is behind them and and therefore taking away some of those chances it was just a a really interesting insight which was sometimes you don't need to step to the ball because when you do you're creating space behind you sometimes it's better to to keep things in front of you and take the danger that's in front of you and keep that as the main target than to let the danger get in behind you basically and expose things yeah, he talked a lot about that. I thought it was really interesting. He talked about if you step up into that space, um, then the defense, the, the attacker can go by you. Sometimes you have to pick and choose your spots. And when you overcommit, uh, you know, some guys have been panicking and then they're chasing the play. And then what happens is you lose your shape because other people come over to help you. It, it sounds to me like what he's talking about is there's this whole waterfall effect of one mistake leads to another, leads to another. And by the time, um, it, you know, that sequence is over, everything's just just been blown up and I think that the back line needs to have a little bit more dis- discipline and be a little wiser about when they commit. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's some of that. The other thing is he talked about giving up the ball between the lines, right? It's something that's the turnovers. The turnovers that the Galaxy, you know, had in this game cost them big time. Um, it allowed Seattle to counter. If you look at the two, it, it, actually, it's all three goals. But whenever you look at the two goals that were scored within three minutes of each other, both of the goals are scored in transition, right? It's about quickly getting the ball uh, forward against the LA Galaxy, about running off the edge, you know. Um, I thought O'Neal Fisher had two good games the first two games, and he didn't start, I think, the the uh, the second or the first game. Um, no, he did start the first game. He didn't start the second game because Araujo did. Araujo came yeah, back. Yeah, Araujo came back. But I, I thought Fisher played well in his substitute appearances in Miami, and I thought he played well as a starter. And so I can understand his old team going up. He's used to the turf. He should understand sort of what is happening. And I thought putting Fisher right back in this game wasn't a horrible idea. Um, it didn't work out that way. Fisher had a bit of a nightmare and he certainly got beat around the edge a couple times in places. I didn't think he was going to get beat around the edge. Uh, Brad Smith, uh, for Seattle had an absolute field day coming up on the left-hand side and sort of pressuring that right side of the LA galaxy defense, uh, was able to, to get around Fisher a couple times, uh, for the first goal. He was the one who put in the assist to Rui Diaz. And by the way, if you go back and watch that first goal, so many times, Kevin, we look at defensive failures and sort of how things collapse. And when you're looking at it from a certain perspective as the team that gets Get scored on you're looking for the defensive failure not looking at the offensive work that was sort of put into that um can i tell you the most beautiful run i've ever seen in my entire life that's not true it's just a really good run uh was by christian roldan in that in that particular play in that first goal so roldan is coming up on the right hand side and Rui diaz is running through the center of the slot and so christian roldan is being marked by jorge Villafania. um and he's he's running from that far sort of right side and he's cutting into the center towards jonathan bond so if you imagine sort of a, this diagonal run coming in brad smith has the ball on the outside he's already gotten around fisher and so everybody's streaking towards that goal line because that's where the play is converging right it's getting closer and closer to the goal line. So Viafania is totally tracking Christian Roldan. So what does Roldan do? You would think he would start to slow down as he got closer to the goal line, but he keeps his run going basically almost all the way through the goal line. What happens is Viafania follows him, right? And then Williams, who was tracking, who was trying to keep track of Rui Diaz, also covered the same line. And then Rui Diaz just steps back. But if Viafania doesn't, or if a Christian Roldan doesn't continue to drag Viafania all the way in, Viafania probably breaks up that play on Rui Diaz because he's in the best position to stop and sort of pop out there on that side. But he couldn't do it because Roldan kept running and he Roldan dragged uh, Viafania and Williams to that goal line, which gave you know Rui Diaz a perfect little tap in from about you know seven yards away. It was such a great run um and it shows the off the ball runs that can mean so much to a goal scorer like Rui Diaz and Rui Diaz uh, you know in some similar ways can be also like Chicharito right which is if you have those good runs those good supporting runs with that attacker up there you could open up a lot of space I thought that was just such a perfect example of one beating the galaxy around the corner um and and sort of making that run and then being able to find, uh, you know, somebody like Christian Roldan who was streaking in and then finding Rui Diaz as he pulls back and away from that. It's just it's it's a really difficult play to guard against and to defend against. And you really have to understand where everybody is going. And at that one point w between Viafania and Williams, they just they didn't get it figured out of who was going to basically stay back with Rui Diaz if he cut back. And, and that's a hard thing to do. Well, and other teams are going to see that on the tape. They're going to note the confusion. They're going to note the, the lack of chemistry, perhaps. That's one thing. You know, we talk about the the starting four on the back lines, different every game. There's a lot of chemistry. And, and you know, I'm going to be really old school and go way back to uh, Omar and AJ, you know, who played together at the University of Maryland and then played so long together with the Galaxy. They knew exactly what each other was going to do. I'm not saying that play doesn't happen with them, but it's not as likely because – 
they're going to learn from that. Now, if the galaxy, do the galaxy learn from that? Does Williams and, and Via Fania learn from that? And does it even matter if Williams doesn't play next week? You know, that's part of this whole chemistry th- thing. Uh, they don't even have their their top 11 here yet. Right. The two, two of their top 11 are still in France. Yeah. Um, and so that chemistry is going to have to come really quickly when those guys finally get here. Yeah, it, it has to be. I mean, that's the whole thing. And, and, you know, I got so many messages and and I think it's it's just it's it's one. It's an overreaction to the situation the Galaxy find themselves in, which was winning the first two games. Great. That was good. You should beat somebody like Miami, although Miami is showing that they're probably a better team than how they played against the Galaxy in that first game. Um, New York is is the Red Bulls. They're a little bit more in a team in, in transition. Um, a lot of young players on that team. That team will probably be a lot better towards the end of the year as well. Yeah, but the Galaxy, Galaxy, as we know, have trouble with transition. So. That, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, they, they won both those games, which is good. We said neither of those games were perfect. The Galaxy said neither of those games were perfect. There were problems. There were defensive breakdowns. There were things that you saw. Um, and, uh, you know, the overreaction comes to thinking that this game wasn't predictable or that it went away in which was not, you know, sort of foreseen. I'm not saying you could tell the future in major league soccer. Any team can beat any team. Kevin, we know that, but we knew Seattle was very good. We knew Seattle would test this defense. We knew Greg Vanny was probably going to make some changes again, another change to the back line, but you can't sit there and scream, oh, this defense is the same defense that sucked last year. Uh, when there's three new guys, actually four new guys, whenever you count Jonathan Bond um, on that back line in this game, it's just not the same. Um, and so it's going to take some time. You talked about chemistry. I mean, give this team five or six weeks and see who the starting defense is. I imagine it's probably Julian Araujo over there. Maybe Sega Kulabale, although I think people are assuming that he's coming in to start. I think that Vanny is bringing him in to compete for a starting spot, but I don't know that he will win a starting spot. That is something that I think Vanny is sort of, and he also, Vanny also talked about Sega Kulabale as a guy who gives them a different look. And perhaps for me, whenever he says that he's sort of the center back, right back hybrid in me, little bells start ringing and saying, you know, is he thinking about going to a three man back line at some point? And if that's the case, you have three center backs. You can play Williams and Steris and Koulibaly um, in that three man sort of back line, much like Seattle did with the three and the five and switching off there. So it's and Toronto has done that. And Toronto has done that. Right. So there's there's a history there. There's an understanding. So maybe Koulibaly fits in there. That's the thing. We don't know how Vanny is finally going to set up this defense, but Williams is new. Viafania is new. Fisher is new. Bond is new. Um, you know, you had two guys in Steris and Depew sort of trying to finish out that the the, the game in the second half as well. Um, and uh, for me, you know, that's going to be the big test is who's going to who's going to win the spot because Vanny wants the competition. He's sort of already spelled that out. So who's going to take that now? Because that back line is going to look different in five weeks. I almost guarantee it's going to look five, different in five well, weeks. Uh, we said a million times last week that the ga- we didn't think you and I didn't think the Galaxy were as good as they were in their first two games. And we we kind of thought that this was going to be a come to Papa moment that uh, they were going to get spanked around a little bit in Seattle. And and I come away from this game saying the Galaxy is not as bad as they looked in Seattle. We haven't seen the real Galaxy yet, and we may not for a long time because their starting lineup's not here. Yeah, it's 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 a work in progress. Still, I here's here's a question for you though. Um, now we've seen three games from Grandsir. Right. Um, Sam Grancier has has come in. He has been, obviously been brought in. I think eventually he's going to end up playing on the right wing. He was playing on the left wing in this particular game for a while. Um, <clears throat> I think that Kevin Cabral will end up playing the left wing and Grancier will play on the right wing, uh, which is really interesting in the center because uh, that should mean Sebastian Legette, Victor Vasquez and Jonathan Dos Santos are the starters in the center. Um, it sort of collapses this whole idea of 
arguing about Adam Saldana, uh, about Efrain Alvarez and different things. Those guys become subs whenever this happens. At least we imagine that that's what happens. Uh, people keep trying to argue that perhaps Cabral is coming into play as the second forward. Maybe he will. Maybe he will take over what Zubak is doing and, and, and play up top in a little bit more of a 4-4-2 with Chicharito. Maybe that makes some sense or the Galaxy get the runs out of the back. But having said that, looking at that, we've watched Grand Sur now for three games, Kevin. Um, I know there are people who are ready, already pulling the ripcord on him saying, eject, you know, you got to get out of there because he's not showing much. What have you seen from Grand Sur in the first three games? Yeah, I see a guy. I see exactly what he is. A guy who hasn't played in a year. Um, I think he has some tools. I think he's not. I, I, it's hard to say he's not game fit, but he, there's a difference between being able to run around for 90 minutes and being ready to make those cuts and all those kind of things and learn your teammates. And he's dealing with the language barriers. We talked about last week, Sasha Kleshin is doing the translating for them. He can't talk to his coach. He can't talk to his teammates. Yes, there are certain things, but um, it, it really helps to be able to communicate both verbally and then to be on the same page with your teammates when a nod or a hand wave leads you into a good position. I, I have not been overly impressed with him. I, again, I think he has some tools and some skills. They're not apparent yet. Um, uh, I don't know that he's ready for prime time just right yet, but I don't know that there's an alternative. You know, one of the guys really impressed me is I, I think Bond has been pretty good. I think Vasquez has been off the hook good. Right. Um, much better than I really thought he was going to be. Um, uh, he's uh, maybe been one of the best players on the team so far. I, I'm getting Chicharito. I think he really has recommitted himself. Um, yeah, the Seattle game wasn't good, but the other two games, we saw enough to know that that he's probably uh, at a high level. Jonathan Dos Santos, on the other hand, has gone exactly the other way. He talked in the offseason about this was uh, a big year for him, contract year. People had to make decisions. He's over 30 now. Do you sign him again? Do you let him go? What did the Galaxy do? He's a DP. Uh, he's not earning his keep right now. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's not Aaron, by the way, in the chat room, gave us a little $5 super chat. Aaron says, I've been asking the others in the chat who goes to the bench when everyone has arrived. And if we do get a central defensive midfielder, uh, what do you two think? So he's asking us now, Kevin, here's the thing. And let's just I'll, I'll lay it out for everybody in case you don't want to do the math in your head is that, as I just said, if you when you get Sebastian Legette back for this LAFC game, you imagine that if everybody's ha healthy, it's Vasquez, it's John, it's Jonathan Dos Santos and it's Legette in the middle. Then if you get Cabral, which probably won't be this week, but if you get Cabral in, he's going to play on the left wing. That puts uh, Grancio on the right wing with Chicharito up top. You can fill in the back four of your dreams however you want to do that. Now let's say the Galaxy go out and get a central defensive midfielder, right? As Vanny says he wants. So what happens then? Because there's an odd man out. You're not going to move a defender. Um, I, at least I imagine you're not going to move a defender out of there. But if you do get a central defender, defensive midfielder, one of Vasquez, Dos Santos, and Legette can't start the game. Um, or, yes. or I leave those three in there and I, leave those, I give Dos Santos an opportunity to play the position Vanny wants him to play, which is that central attacking midfielder, the link, um, you know, the box-to-box -box guy. Then I put a, the the defending the defensive midfielder in front of a back line and go with three center backs. So then you go with the three, yeah, and you could you could do that. Um, what happens to Araujo in that case, though? That's then Araujo becomes the odd man out, and I don't know that you want him to be the odd guy out. I think Grant. Once everyone's here, I think Grant, to answer the question, I think Grant Sear goes to the bench. That's the first guy. On the back line, I'm not so sure. Um, it could go week to week, which is not a good, an ideal solution because, again, you want to build that chemistry. I think that's the thing that's really hurting the back line is there is no chemistry there. It's one of the reasons that I argue against getting a starting CDM 
right, is because you're going to put somebody who is a starter. And listen, Grant Sear, uh, you know, yeah, it's a good call, Kevin, because from what we've seen so far, not there. And I'll say in this game, after the 60th minute, that dude was done. He didn't he couldn't run anymore. He was tired. He wasn't chasing back. He wasn't playing defense. He wasn't playing offense um, for for me just to, to go back a little bit on Grant Sear. I've seen little progressions day, you know, every game. And I've liked that. And if you look at the best chance that the LA Galaxy had, it was Grant Sear. It was from Alvarez over the top to Grant Sear. And Grant Sear should have scored. Um, that should have been the thing. In fact, the the expected goals in this game, which, you know, hey, what do you know? I actually have this as well. Um, the XG in this game actually shows the Galaxy should have had a goal, um, which is which is good. And it also shows that, that Seattle should have been right around two goals, which is what I told you before, that that third goal doesn't really count. It does, but it doesn't really. Um, so when you look at this, you know, if you if you go back, if you look at the XG and sort of the chances that were created in this game, and certainly Grant Sears chance was one of the better ones. Um, and the Galaxy did a much better job in the second half of of creating chances in that first 15 minutes or so. Um, but for me, Grant Sear has made chance has had chances he has been played into positions kevin so if we're looking at a guy who has been placed into positions it's grand sure i don't know that you want to give that up you talked about the offense only going through chicharito right now the only other guy who we're sort of seeing generate offense is grand sure question has a goal uh you would have yeah, has three shots on, on i think on target yeah that might be that i don't i i'll trust you on that one um the other thing is that uh you would expect sebastian Legette in the center gets more of a chance here as well. Um, I think, and, and, and Lou in the, in the chat room sort of jumped, got, got ahead of me a little bit on this, but I'll say it now um, is I don't know that Jonathan Dos Santos is long for this team. And I think that that could be one of the things that changes is that Jonathan Dos Santos may not be here after the summer because the way that we've seen him play uh, just in the first three games, but also going back to last year when he was injured a lot, uh, it has not been impressive. And we know this is the end of his contract. And so if the Yellow Galaxy wanted to transfer him this summer, this is the time to do it, right? And there's long been an argument, Kevin, about Jonathan Dos Santos is not a designated player. He might be a TAM player, but he's not a DP. And at a DP, he's taking up a valuable spot away from the LA Galaxy. Well, there, there's a lot there. I think the first thing you do with Jonathan is you, if you get the defensive midfielders, you give Jonathan a chance to play the position that he's intended to play uh, and, and let him see if he can do that, if he becomes viable. You know, they're going to have to take the pulse of that dressing room before they move Jonathan Dos Santos because he is a team leader. And the last thing you want to do is it's it's the example. Hey, here's a guy that busted his hump. Yeah, he was injured. Yeah, maybe he wasn't as effective as he was early in his career, but he's a good guy. He's worked hard. He's been a leader. He's tried to be there for us. And we're just going to let him go in the middle of the season in a contract year, unless it's a place that he wants to go and he's a hundred percent with it. Uh, now a guy like people, I, I he's gone. I, I don't see, you know, right. I don't see him, right. uh, but Jonathan is different. And, and you, you know, again, you have, that could break up the dressing room thinking that they, they cut a veteran guy that um, is important. But another thing about Grant Sear, you're talking about the improvement. I, I think, imagine you're him you speak only French. You're not really can, you know, conversant in English. Um, uh, you know, Sasha said he tries to join in in some of the, you know, the pranks and stuff in the in the dressing room. It's really hard. He feels like everything is going on around him. There's no one he can talk to. He can't go back to his room maybe and watch TV. At least, you know, he has to get on the Internet maybe. It's got to be really hard for him. And I think when Cabral and, and uh, Atari get here, that um, that'll help him a little bit. <laughs> no, <That'll... laughs> bad joke, bad joke. I think that'll help to open him up a little bit, though. I think he'll get more relaxed, and you might see 
grants here start to come around a little bit when that happens. You know, um, Cabral's brother's coming too. So yes. there's going to be four French speakers there every day. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's going to make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And Sasha Kleshen, was he one of the four French speakers that you're talking about? I was no, no. To, I'm no. thinking it's the two Cabral's. Right. And, um, I don't know how good, I don't, how good is, is Sasha's French? I know he speaks it, but there's a difference between speaking it and really speaking it. I think he feels pretty, at least from what we saw, you know, just in his responses, I think he feels fairly confident that he's able to communicate. Um, it, it's funny because usually you would think that Grant Sear would be this isolated guy. And, and Sasha says that he's really not, that, he, that he's part of the, that he just, he knows how to be part of this team. Listen, I'm not worried about the, if Jonathan Dos Santos goes away, I'm one that's not worried about the locker room because they might bring somebody else in who could be really a locker room guy and who, who really brings things together. But having a designated player spot open this summer, um, you know, we should get, we should get Dennis to closer on the, on the show and sort of, uh, ask him. I was, I was trying, I was trying to do it and I, 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 the galaxy travel was so crazy last night that I didn't want to do it because it was, it was like, he was, he would be tired if I asked and I didn't want to oh, ask. Well, tell us about that travel, Josh. Wow. What a segue we have. Um, no, I, I thought it was really interesting. I was talking to some of the people after the game and just how everything goes and, we talked about how the LA Galaxy and Greg Vanny specifically mentioned this. Victor Vasquez came out, had a, um, in, the, I think, around the 62nd minute um, and had a groin issue. It was a tightness in the groin. Um, it was something that uh, they were concerned about at the very least. And one of the things Vanny said in that was he said, you know, whenever you travel the day of and you're on a bus, then you're on a plane, then you're on another bus and then you're at the hotel and then you're at a bus and then you're at the game, that there's a lot of sitting, you know, there's like four hours of sitting going on and that's not good for guys legs the day of. And I think we talked about this, but there was a discussion that the LA Galaxy wanted to go up on Saturday instead of Sunday. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was MLS, although we're assuming it was MLS, said, no, you have to travel sort of up on, on the day of the game. Well, one of the things the LA Galaxy did do, however, is they stayed in a hotel, uh, not in Seattle, in near near LAX or near Long Beach or wherever they were they were flying out of um, on their charter. Uh, they stayed at a hotel near that airport basically the night before, so that way everybody would be together and they could sort of you know get their mindset and mind wrapped around. I think trying to mimic a normal road trip when you think about it, Kevin, right? Because it's a hey, the day before you go and you leave and you're at the hotel and you hang out with everybody and you have your meals and then the next day you know you get ready for the game. Well, that next day is now getting on a bus, going to the airport, traveling on a plane, getting on a bus, going to a hotel, going from the hotel back to a bus, back to the stadium. Um, and so all that stuff sort of has to happen. So it's a long night whenever you think about it. I mean, what we were on the video conference call at the game started at 625, right? Not six o'clock, but 625. So we were probably on that call at 9 p.m. Uh, West Coast time. And then the LA Galaxy still had to leave, get on a bus go to the airport, hop on a plane. It's about 2.20, I think, uh, in terms of flight time uh, from Seattle down to L.A. Um, and then they get on a bus. Then they have to go back to the hotel. They get to the hotel. They get in their cars, and then they get to go, go home. I mean, we can start doing the math on that, but I'm telling you right now, they didn't leave before 10. Uh, you add another two hours, that's 12. You add another hour to that, you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. is what time the L.A. Galaxy got back from that game. Um, they did get to sleep in their own bed. I think that's the plus. But at the same time, uh, not exactly uh, the charter luxury that I think everybody was expecting on well, that. Talk about the look at the front end of that. I think it, again, I'm with Greg Vanny. The problem is in the front end um, because you have that two hour and forty minute flight or thirty minute flight, whatever it is. Um, you don't just wake up at the hotel and get on the bus and go to the game. You wake up at the hotel, you go down and wait for everyone to get on the bus, then you go to the plane, then you take the plane. It's it's 
I'm telling you, if, you know, anyone who's flown, um, it, it, it can be a little exhausting. Just even on a charter, you still have to get in the bus and get in the plane and sit there and fly while it's flying and, and, you know, get through the airport. And it, it's just an exhausting experience. And then to have to go out and play a soccer match against uh, a team that's been in for the last five MLS cup finals, that's a big chore. And, and it, man, it gives Seattle just a huge advantage when they do that. And, and you mentioned that, that the, the galaxy ask MLS and apparently was denied permission to go up, the day before the that, game. That's our assumption. Just just say that's our assumption because we don't know that it actually happened, but because it didn't happen, we're assuming that's the reason. Yeah, assumptions can sometimes get you in trouble, but yes. I think we're pretty safe here. What I don't know is this was this MLS squeezing the nickel and saying we're not going to pay for that time in the hotel. Is there an additional charter expense that the, the crew has to remain uh, you know, on the clock for that extra day? Uh, it, it's got uh, The only thing I can think of is it's a cost thing because it can't be a COVID thing. You're isolating the hotel anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just interesting uh, when you look at that and sort of the injury part of that. I mean, we so often we, we heard Bruce Serena or um, or Siggy Schmidt even where they talk about, you know, traveling on commercial flights and how that can lead to injuries. And we knew about Ashley Cole getting, you know, a tight back at one point because he was sitting on a commercial jet and that type of thing. And he ended up not being able to play. We've heard that. Well, now we look at that with Victor Vasquez as well. Let's go. Um, I, I want to get to all the injuries because that's a big thing, Kevin. Um it's certainly something that that we have to talk about, but there was a big thing that happened in this game at halftime, which is Greg Vanny decided that nothing was working and decided to switch it up. He made three changes at halftime, ended up making two more subs in the second half for all five subs. What do you know that? What do you know? A coach who makes subs. It's it feels different and weird and a little strange. Um, but he does that, but not only does he make a sub, he brings in Chicha Whisperer, Ethan Zubak. Uh, they go into more of a 4-4-2 again. Uh, the Galaxy have some of their best pressure on Seattle in the first 15 minutes of that second half. Um, it was funny, I asked Sasha Kleshin after the game, and I said, so what is it, whenever you have a coach that comes in and at halftime and says, listen, it's not working, all right, I'm going to change things up, we're going to go a different way. I go, what does, that, what does that sort of tell you? And he goes, you know, that's our guy. He goes, that's our guy out there, and he's telling us that we're going to be successful if we do this. He goes, we trust him. We love that he's trying to change things. We love that he's trying to do things to, to sort of do He's our leader out there, and he's fighting for us from the sideline. It's interesting to sort of see that 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 take on it, right? Because um, so many times, I think if, if and in fairness, in his second season later in the, in the second half of the of, of the season as well with Guillermo Barrascoloto, if he tried to do that, Kevin, if he at halftime threw the bathwater out and was like, listen, <laughs> we're getting killed, we're switching everything up, there would be a lot of criticism. I think we're, we look at Greg Vanny and say, um, and maybe rightfully or wrongfully, but however we look at that, right or wrong, is that we're giving Greg Vanny credit for saying it didn't work and that it was my fault and I'm here to fix it. I'm going to help you. And the Galaxy were a better team in that in that first 15, 20 minutes in the second half. What did you think of Derek Williams in the first half? That's all he played. But what did you th- did you think he did okay? Did you think he was a weak spot? I was fine. I mean, I you know it's it's tough to gauge a defender on forty five minutes. I think as a central defender, you saw him come out and be aggressive sometimes. I think you saw him get on the end of crosses into the box, so he was a good height. I think they looked for him on set pieces. I like that. Other than that, that's it. 
what else do you want me to tell say? Because he's playing in a system, right? And he's not accustomed to that system yet. And he's not accustomed to the people around him. So the lapses in defense, um, I'm not going to blame him for any of those. I look at that and say, okay, those happened up the field on both cases. No, but there, there's method to my madness here yes. on this. I, I'm just wondering if all the things you, you just said probably make this point invalid. Um, he needed more time on the field, not less time on the field. I'm just wondering whether Greg saw something and said it's, it's not working with him. He's 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 costing us. I'm going to take him out, and I'm going to say that he's hurt because I'm not going to throw him under the bus after his first game. So I would say only because I have some inside information that you are incorrect. Um, so that's not really fair to you because I don't even think I told you. But I, I had heard that um, uh, that Derek Williams was in pain after the game, and that that's something that we should all be paying attention to and watching. Um, for this, I, I will say, however, whenever you look at Efrain Alvarez and whenever you look at um, O'Neill Fisher, that Greg Vanny absolutely pulled them because of their ineffective play in the first half. That's there's no question in my mind. Yes, it, he sort of he sort of put it at this way, which was um, I needed to change things because the way I had it set up was not working. Um, and he went into detail a little bit whenever he talked about Efrain Alvarez because um, somebody had asked about Alvarez's play and the whole deal. He's like, yeah, I thought he was fine, uh, was not overly complimentary, but he went through what he thought he was going to get, which was I really thought Efrain Alvarez with his left foot was going to be able to sort of peel off and back away from, you know, Victor Vasquez and be able to use his left foot to sort of, you know, find balls in behind. And he did against Grant Sir that one time. The problem with Efrain Alvarez in this game is that unless he had a tremendous amount of time to do something with that ball, Kevin, uh, he gets closed down real fast. And whenever he gets closed down at the MLS level, he doesn't have the body positioning. He doesn't have the body size to be able to escape that most of the time. Every once in a while, he wiggles through some some tight spaces. But in USL and at other places, you've certainly seen him wiggle out of tight spots and it not be an issue. In MLS, that seems to be happening uh, a little bit too fast for me. Are for him and for me, um, I also didn't love his and I'll put it in quotation marks defense that he was trying to play. Uh, there were only two ways that Efrain Alvarez was playing defense in that first half. One was overly aggressive, not trying for the ball, foul, 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 kick you, kick you, kick you, kick you, and then get called for a foul and then it would turn around. Um, and not necessarily in a tactical way, just in that way. Or the other defense, which was I'm just going to run beside you. I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to put any pressure on the ball, but I'm going to run beside you. Having seen that in the center of the field where you need to either retain possession or win back possession, uh, it, it really puts, in my mind, a short lease on, on Alvarez. I think he has an amazing left foot. I think he has unbelievable vision. When he has time to execute those things, he's great. So if he can improve one thing, it's being able to make those decisions quicker or opening up more space for himself in that. Vanny was very particular about what he thought he was going to get. And if you go to our website, um, I have... I have all of the post-game audio from Greg Vanny and from Sasha Kleshin. You can hear exactly what he said. Um, we didn't cut anything from that, so you can you can sort of enjoy that. But go to cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can find it there. Um, I just that was so. I think whenever it comes to Fisher and Alvarez on the night, he absolutely pulled them because they were ineffective. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. Everyone's kind of talking around it. I'm gonna go there. Yes, uh, Efrain Alvarez has a tremendous left foot, and he has an amazing. Uh, skill set. He's a tremendous talent. But since he was 14, we've kept hearing about him as a second coming. Salatan just loved him and thought that he could play in Europe as a, as a teenager and said that he was a great player. And, and I think when you see him in training every day, he probably is really impressive. But here's the deal. He's been around a long time. He's got 11 starts, 35 appearances, I think you said, in MLS. Um, 
you know, what is he waiting for? It, to me, it seems like he has all this talent and he simply doesn't apply himself. Here he is with another manager now, which is his fourth or fifth manager, getting an opportunity to start a game against Seattle. This is where you come through. He knows Sebastian Legit's not going to play. He knew that two weeks ago. This is his chance to come through and shine, and he's totally unprepared. He's in a year now where both the U.S. and the Mexican national team want him. He's apparently made his decision. It sounds like he's going to Mexico. But there's this tug-of-war going on. You nod your head, but there is a tug-of-war going on, whether he's going to play or not. Maybe he's a Gold Cup guy. But the point is, everything is in front of him right now. And we've heard about this incredible promise, and he just hasn't delivered. And you talk about Jonathan Dos Santos. I mean, he's... You know, I know Ephra's a teenager, but how long does this go on? How long do we decide that he's the, the next coming and he's just needs a little bit more time? It, I've seen a lot of time already, and um, he's just not delivering on that promise. And it, it seems to me to be sort of a lack of motivation, dedication, follow through. I'm not sure what the word is. Certainly not talent. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes guys hit walls. I'm not going to say it's motivation or, or that he's not prepared. Maybe that's unfair. I don't know what he does. I don't know how he trains. I don't get to watch that as much as I would like. And and that's not to say that you're incorrect, Kevin. I'm just I, I don't want to go there with it. I will say this, that sometimes guys hit a wall. And when you hit that wall, there's either ways to get better and, and to progress your way through it. Or some guys just can't, even if they work really hard at it, are not going to get any better. Um, I don't know where Alvarez sits on that. Uh, you know, the the MLS player of the week was uh, was Cade Cowell, right, up at, uh, in San Jose. Um, 17 years old, younger than Efrain Alvarez. Absolutely bossing around the yard. Um, huge kid. Uh, in terms he's physically gifted, but not only that, he's a smart soccer player. Um, the Galaxy are going to have fits trying to contain him, and he's 17 years old. Look over, I think, New York with uh, had another uh, Caden. Caden yeah, 16 uh, years old. Yeah, yeah, 16 years old, who was absolutely playing at an MLS level and is fits into that team wonderfully. Um, so, I mean, saying that he's, you know, he's 18 now and, you know, that that he's he should be producing. He should be, absolutely. I don't think the Galaxy have done anything to stunt his growth. I think they've given him a lot of opportunities and the bottom line is some people ring the bell whenever it's there and some people don't. So we'll see if Efrain Alvarez progresses. I hope at the end of this year we get to make a decision on him because having to put up with the uh, narratives that keep running through uh, from people who clearly don't watch him play um, is getting a little bit tiring. I like him. I think that he could be great. Um, but he's he needs to progress past whatever roadblock he's at because we haven't seen it in three years. And, and you know, it could be in his best interest for him to move on. It could be he gets in a situation with a, with a, another coach away from home. Remember, mom and dad's still right down the road. Right. He gets across the country with another coach, a Bruce Arena. Maybe goes to Seattle with Brian Smetzer, an accomplished veteran coach who says, "This, you know, I'm not invested in your career, kid. I didn't sign you for the Galaxy Academy. If you don't make it here, sorry." You know, you can go walk at Walmart or whatever. Um, it's not going to coddle him is the point, I guess. Maybe that would be the best thing for Efrain because it's just not working here, at least not right now. Yeah, we'll see. I think Vanny has the, I think Vanny wants to give him shots. So I think that Greg Vanny will give him shots. I think he got a shot this against Seattle. Um, but I, I think that Vanny certainly isn't going to throw him under the bus or throw Fisher under the bus. And Vanny took a lot of the heat on this. Um, and so, so you look at this game. I mean, you know, hey, the Galaxy, if you really want to go down, the Galaxy broke down twice in three minutes. That's the big problem here. Uh, if the Galaxy don't break down twice in three minutes, this is a different game going to the second half. Do I think that Seattle still wins? Yes, I do. But the Galaxy chasing this game was never going to work, Kevin. Um, well, yes. No, you said something really good just a second ago about about Vanny giving him chances and Vanny not throwing guys under the bus. Um, 
we're three games into Greg Vanny's stay here. And I remember back to GBS when he first came and, and a lot of guys saying, Oh, he has a defensive. I remember Steris and Romney were two that he has a defensive game plan. We know where we're supposed to be. This is great. We're, we're really going to be great this year. And they go up and give up 120 goals or whatever it was. Um, you know, I don't want to go too nuts with Fanny because we did that with GBS. It didn't work out. And who knows if Fanny's going to work out. I mean, early returns are really good. But a couple of things. He's making the substitutions. He's going to the locker room at halftime and saying, what I did, I, me as Greg Vanny, what I did didn't work out. It's not you guys. It's me. I'm going to fix it. He's not throwing guys under the bus. That just seems different from last year when GBS didn't have any answers at halftime ever. Yeah. Um, when he went to the, the microphone three times during MLS's back and said, my players quit. Yep. I never heard him say, I picked the wrong 11 guys. Right. He said, my players quit. Um, I don't see that in Vanny. And, and, and that's why I bring up the thing with Derek Williams. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't meant to be a dig at Derek Williams or, or a dig at Greg. It was a compliment to Greg, him saying, the guy's not working, but I'm not going to say that publicly. I'm just going to say he's hurt, which, you know, your point is he probably was. But I'm thinking that's how Vanny's kind of managing this thing is it, everything that goes wrong, it's me. Um, and it's funny because when Chicharito scored five goals, I didn't hear Greg Vanny say, yeah, I set it up that way. <laughs> no. He said Chicharito's a great scorer. Yeah, as he should. That's um, what you want your coach to do. Yeah, no, it feels it feels different. Um, it absolutely feels different. I don't, it feels way different than GBS. And, you know, that's, that's from somebody who has been talking to coaches since, you know, 2009 or so. Um, it feels different just the way it is. Uh, interesting little stats here. LA Galaxy actually had more possession than Seattle, mostly because Seattle's decided to just give them possession in the second part of that game because it wasn't going anywhere. Uh, outshot 17 to 10, 9 to 2 on goal. Passing accuracy, Galaxy had better passing accuracy. Again, most of that was because short passes. Um, 16 fouls in this game. No yellow cards, no red cards. I thought that was interesting. Um, just, you know, some other things we talked about. It. Three goals, uh, nine shots on target to two for the LA Galaxy. Uh, and Chicharito didn't have one of those uh, shots on target. Uh, so, I mean, again, it wasn't a great day for the LA Galaxy. And if you go down, and we talked about the passing network map um, on Thursday's show whenever we were looking at Seattle. I think the passing... Is that a Romulus? What do you call yeah, that? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's like a, it's a, a little, it's a one-sided diamond of some sort, an actual diamond shape not like a, 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 what, I don't know, but it looks like a diamond. Um, the, the interesting thing here is how far up, uh, you look at Jorge Villafania who was underutilized in the first half. I mean, Villafania's average position, cause this not only goes to uh, passing, but it gives you average position. Uh, but his, his average position is above the, uh, that midfield line, um, you know, on the far left-hand side. And Vanny said absolutely hundred percent that he was missed multiple times in that first half and really would have helped the switching of the field. Uh, Vanny said was not good. If you, if you want to feel better about this game as a galaxy fan, Kevin, I suggest everybody goes and listens to Greg Vanny describe sort of what happened because, um, it wasn't like it was a mystery to him. Sometimes you have coaches who say, who say, I don't know. Um, I don't know what happened. We'll have to look at the tape after this. Greg Vanny was like, no, this is what happened. This is why we, why, what, what happened. We could see it and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get better at it. It, it's reassuring to see that the, you know, the things that you see sometimes are picked up by the coach. Um, not only does it make you feel better, but at the same time, you can see that he was trying to fix that game as it was happening. He could see what was happening in real time was trying to fix that. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's super interesting by the way. Um, 
Sycon uh, Eric uh, Designs said uh, it's a random comment. We got a five dollar super chat. Says random comment, but I say we buy new who from the Sounders. I mean, he was he was a bit of a beast last night. It's not yeah. a hor- it's not a horrible shout. I just don't think the Galaxy are going to be able to pry him away from Seattle. So uh, no, I don't breath. think Seattle's going to be moving anybody from this team. Um, you know another thing about about Greg Vanny, he wasn't uh, a best uh, eleven pick in MLS. I think two times in a row. Uh, during his first day with the Galaxy, he was also played uh, three dozen, more than three dozen games with the national team as a defender. Um, you know, he understands how defense works. And again, this is not the pile on GBS episode, but the fact of the matter is, GBS was a world class striker. He was a goal scorer. Um, Vanny is a defender. Uh, you know, I, I just think Vanny might have a li- little bit more of a feel for what's going wrong with the defense, having probably experienced a lot of these problems. Um, you know, and I just, just, maybe a little more confidence in the fact that he does really identify it and, and can fix it as opposed to, you know, having to turn it over to one of the assistants or really not having a feel of how the defense works. Strikers are great for learning how to break down a defense, but not so much for knowing how to build one. Yeah. Um, I, I can see that. Yeah. They, plus it's, it's, you know, the catchers in, uh, in baseball end up being good coaches and defenders and, and sometimes even goalkeepers in, in soccer. Bruce Arena is a goalkeeper. He, he is, he is. Um, it's, it, I've actually, I've actually broken this down. It, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you're right. It's, um, defensive midfielders, um, uh, defenders, especially center backs and goalkeepers, seem to make the best coaches. And it's it, as you said, it's because catchers make the best managers. The whole game is in front of you. Right. It's the one place where you have to manage both the pitching and the hitting, both sides of the game. Uh, you know, strikers have the game behind them most of the time. Right. And they only they only really focus on one skill. Right. Um, so it's like again, a pitcher in baseball. How many? great managers have been pitchers yeah uh, no i mean it, it, you sort of look at that as a striker you get to everything is usually made for you right it's made for you to succeed and so you don't have to worry as much about the system behind you uh when you're a defender you see it all play out in front of you and usually you have to know where everybody's position is going to be um in order to be successful on that let's uh let's get to some injury concerns uh going into this week as well we mentioned that williams um was not available for the media call basically uh and was apparently in some pain and discomfort uh, the people in the, in the chat have also said that they were shown, he was shown on TV with some ice on his knee. Um, so he, I heard that he picked up a knock, so we're not expecting that it's an injury in terms of he hurt something on the turf. We think it's just a knock. So Williams will be a question mark throughout this week. We have media availability, I think on Thursday, um, before the Saturday game against LAFC. So everybody can sort of, uh, wait to see, uh, what his status is. Victor Vasquez got pulled in this game with a groin issue. Now, Vanny was hopeful, Kevin, that he pulled him in time to have not gotten an injury. However, we don't know if that was the case or not. Um, somebody said that he's basically standing around for five minutes before he got subbed uh not really moving so that doesn't exactly give me high hopes that victor vasquez will just suddenly be perfect and fine and ready to play against lafc on saturday yeah, so, and losing him would hurt no absolutely chicharito got his foot absolutely stomped on in this game but he's super chicharito he'll be back yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, goes. yeah we'll, we'll see he'll be back uh it, he, he got sta- he got landed on he, he uh by i don't remember who it was it was was it new who, who jumped up next to him i can't remember um who it was but landed on him and somebody says well it wasn't a turf issue let me tell you something if that's on grass it doesn't hurt nearly as much as it does whenever you have somebody land on you on concrete which is basically what turf is so yes it's still a turf issue it still hurts um and then we have adam Saldana. Uh, who only trained a little bit last week and apparently was good enough to make the the 18-man roster, the 20, what are we doing, 22, 23-man rosters now? I have no idea. Um, 
It's 20 on the sidelines. 20 on the sidelines. So Adam Saldana only trained for one day. So we'll see whether or not he's ready for LAFC. Getting back Sebastian Legette. That's the positive thing. Uh, no update, uh, at least on this Monday evening on Kevin Cabral. And I was told, I was promised that as soon as they knew he was on his way, that I would I, they would let me know. So as of right now, I don't believe Kevin Cabral is headed is he coming by boat? Is he rowing his way over here? Out, swimming? I mean, you know. They, they have planes from France, right? They still fly. You can't get on the plane until you get your visa paperwork, and that was the uh, the hiccup. And again, I, I mentioned this on Thursday's show because, um, let's see, I, actually I didn't because it came out on Friday. But basically, Greg Vanny said that it was a paperwork issue. Now, it was not a paperwork issue with the LA Galaxy. They apparently filled out everything correctly. But it was a paperwork issue somewhere between the embassy here in the United States and the United States embassy that was in France. They screwed something up. And because of that, they were hoping to get it fixed. But of course, it's taking longer to get fixed than it is. It's like, you know, doing something once is the easiest way to get it. Once there's something wrong in there, now all of a sudden it's more difficult to fix because something happened. It's an exception. You know what I think about every time I hear these kind of stories is here is a an athlete who's going to make millions of dollars, right? Presumably, and he has two teams that are uh, uh, making millions. They have millionaire owners and very well connected teams that are very invested in making this happen like that, and they still can't get through all this red tape. What chance do you or I have of making this happen? I mean, if we were trying to immigrate from France, it would never make it. No, no, it would be a lot. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Typically, it's, I think, between two and eight weeks whenever you apply for a visa. Um, the P1 visa is obviously, I think we talked about this on Thursday, was is a special skills visa, right? You have to have special skills in order to get the P1 visa. Um, somebody was pointing out, uh, I think on our Thursday show, that, you know, uh, uh, professional gamers uh, that come in are also and are going to work in the United States and play on the professional like, like gaming, like, like Sega, yeah, or Atari, as you said, um, or maybe Sony. Um, whenever you do that, uh, it, it, it's the same visa. It's a special skills visa. And so that's usually there's, there's an ability to sort of fast track these with COVID. There's not as much ability to fast track this. And so basically that's where it's getting held, hold up a, a, a little bit. So anyway, Kevin Cabral, uh, Sega cool Bale are the two guys that we're waiting to see how long it takes them to get. I would imagine Sega is still at least two weeks away from being here. Um, and we would expect Kevin Cabral does ship out. Um, and that means on an airplane, maybe, or maybe it is on a ship. Uh, we'll we'll head to the United States here this week. That was Greg Vanny's uh, prediction, although we have had many predictions of that happening over the uh, the course of the last three or four weeks. We're getting on four weeks now after signing um, Kevin Cabral. So I don't think anyone's lying to us. I just think that they really don't know. They don't know what's going on. Yeah, I think it's difficult to get answers. I, I think that would yeah. be that. Yeah. I mean, when every time you're dealing with the government, it's difficult to get answers. Trust me. Um, we, you talked a little bit about the defensive problems. I wanted to just highlight a little bit about where the defensive problems are. Uh, I'm not overly concerned. Again, I think things will change. Things are going to, uh, solidify in the next five to six weeks in terms of the starting back four, who those are. And then there will be familiarity. There'll be understanding in the system. Um, once you get a familiarity and a consistency in that lineup, uh, that'll be something to sort of look at. But three games played, six goals scored to date, goals conceded seven. So right now, through 34 games, the LA Galaxy are projected to score 68 goals and give up 80 goals. Okay, now, obviously, it's a slanted, twisted little line because I can tell you that if the LA Galaxy gave up 80 goals, Kevin, it would be the most goals they ever gave up in a single season. I, I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm just saying it's highly unlikely. Uh, if you go through here and sort of look at the seasons over the years, um, you can come in here and, and figure out that the average for the LA Galaxy defense is around 40, 41 goals. 
um, given up. They had 46 last year, but that was a shortened season. Of course, this doesn't account for that. This is an average goals. Uh, this is total goals. If you look back in 2017, which was the worst season the LA Galaxy have ever had, that's 67 goals. Um, the good years uh, when 2010, 26 goals given up, uh, 28 goals in 2011. Kevin, 28 goals in 2011. The LA Galaxy have already given up 25% um, of that total in their first three games uh, through the season if they were going to try to match what 2011 was. And, and I think Jonathan Bond's doing a good job, so what do I know? Um, no, 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 you're right. He is. He is doing a good job, and I think he will hopefully continue to do a good job for the LA Galaxy. He just needs to hang in there as everything solidifies around him. I think, really, that's my my key for everything. Um, I wanted to get to... Did you have anything else on the defense? I was going to... No, uh, I just no. one more thing on Bond. You're right. I mean, I think things are going to get much better for Jonathan Bond. He does lead the league in saves. I think he should probably talk about that, about, um, you know, and think about that. Um, it's got to be really frustrating for him, but I haven't seen him lash out at any teammates yet. Um, and that's all to his credit, because if we buy the concept that things are going to turn around, the last thing you want is your goalkeeper te- right. to, you know, to sort of have, uh, you know, the red A, as they say, and be a guy that is blaming everybody else it, it, it's it's totally understandable that he would be frustrated he's got to hold his his lip now because things will get better and and he doesn't want to piss anybody off yeah i, I would say that uh my big thing uh is you don't want to go full carlo cudicini so early in the season right you yeah. want, you want to wait a little bit on that um Oh, blast from the past. Let's go a little bit to what this start means, which is always interesting. It's always fun. Um, we always try to like put things in per- into perspective. Here is something that I think should give LA Galaxy fans a little bit of comfort, Kevin. This is the LA Galaxy through three games throughout their entire 26-year history. Uh, the 2021 LA Galaxy are in the top 10 of best starts in team history. 26 years, top 10. They That means 16 of 26 teams have fared worse through three games and of those teams that have fared worse kevin uh three of the five mls cup winning seasons started worse than 2021 as well so there there's the first three games mean very little in predicting how the la galaxy or anybody else will do um i saw that they were looking at fc cincinnati i think who is owen three um and they were talking uh somebody in the league was talking and saying that only six teams in mls history have started owen three and like made the playoffs so the galaxy are not in that category you don't have to worry about that the galaxy are actually in a very good position to um, continue and have some, I I think what's going to be like sort of middling success. They're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. Um, And that's not to say, that's not to be like, I'm not trying to be smug on on this. Oh, well, of course they're going to win. And of course they're going to lose. No, I I think that they're going to be an average team here for the start of the season. That may mean a tough game against LAFC this weekend. Um, In fact, it's going to be a very difficult game. Now you can throw out the fact it's a, it's a rivalry game. um, And that usually means that, that's something uh, that you can't really predict what the results are going to be. But, um, you know, the LA Galaxy are not going to be a good team, I think, Kevin, for, for a little while here. Again, five or six weeks to really get a full starting 11, what we think is going to be a first team starting 11 on all this. So uh, for me, I'm, I'm not in panic mode. I think that the start um, and sort of the stats that, that put it there say the LA Galaxy are doing just fine through the first three games and that everybody should be just just relax about it. The, yes, the defense has some red flags. The offense has some red flags. There's red flags all over this LA Galaxy team. The bottom line is they won their first two games, which is not something that some of the other uh, Galaxy teams in previous times have done. So, uh, you know, they got a little head start on on some of these teams. I think that's a that's a good thing for the Galaxy. What do you think of them playing LAFC? Well, first of all, playing LAFC three times, and then the first game being this early in the season. I know it was this early in the season the first year round, but everybody wanted that. Um, you know, the other two games aren't until like late in the summer. 
Um, and they start out the season. Both teams are sort of feeling that their way out. It seems like a waste of a rivalry game. The teams haven't developed. They haven't gelled yet. Um, and, and I don't like playing three times. It I don't seems, And though they're, they're probably going to meet again in the playoffs, most likely. I mean, I think right. you, you can you could probably see where that would be a, a, a very possible uh, outcome. Um, it, it, I think it's just too much. And, and last year, I mean, I almost won a discount last year. That was just so weird. The Galaxy coming back from MLS's back and just going into uh, Bank of California and, and breaking Carlos Vela's knee and winning that game. And then the, the game that was at Home Depot just didn't even feel like a or it was Dignity Health Sports Park, didn't even feel, there was no atmosphere, there were no fans. Uh, I, I, I won a discount last year, but I also don't like the idea, uh, the fans make this rivalry, and I, I don't know, empty stadium, or a half full stadium, whatever it's going to be, just, it, it, I don't know, I wish they weren't playing each other three times. I almost feel like they're wasting these games. Yeah, they are. That's MLS, they're a money grab league. I mean, you know, we saw it last year, certainly. Um, and when you regionalize these things, you're going to pit, you know, LAFC and LA Galaxy against each other, 12 miles separated from each other. I mean, you know, all those things are are, are is what it is. I, I complain about it. Nobody cares. Um, it's an El Trafico. It's a game. There will be fans in the stands. It should probably be more exciting this year. Um, but yeah, it's a waste. I mean, you'd want to see these ga- these teams not play each other until I would hope um, not until the middle of the season. So that way everybody's all amped up. And then you definitely want to play this game like down the stretch as it's getting closer yeah. to the playoffs, right? When it really means them. And you should only play two games. But MLS doing the regionalized thing, um, which, hey, we may never get back to an East-West schedule ever again there's a lot of teams there's a lot of things maybe it's just gonna be western conference but i'd like to see a balanced western conference as much as we can um you know sort of see things in in the future um there, there could be some history in this game uh, we were talking beforehand carlos vela and chicharito came up together in the chivas of guadalajara academy and then carlos as a teenager or at 20 went to uh, arsenal play in europe and chicharito went to manchester united in 2010 the only time these two t- national team teammates they played in two world cups together they played at chivas together the only time they played against one another or the last time they played against one another was 2013 when uh vela was at uh, sociedad in spain and chicharito was still with manchester united they played in a champions league game uh they haven't played against each other since then and who knows neither one of them may play in this game chicharito if, if that injury is serious may be held out and vela's only played 22 minutes this season so we'll see what happens yeah again it would be great if somebody made a poster for chicharito versus vela um and then uh then neither of them play you know like uh steven gerrard versus frank lampard uh, i remember that game that was a great game uh frank lampard was in a luxury suite up by the press box yeah steven gerrard didn't play in that game either uh weekly schedule for the la galaxy the team is off on tuesday they did train today expect that to be a regen se- uh, session because uh, like i said they got in late they probably showed up a little bit late to the club did a quick workout they will be off um on tuesday then they train on wednesday thursday thursday is our media availability if you figure just a little bit before one is probably when that kicks off so you can go to twitter and i'm sure you'll see updates from all the journalists who are on board there i should be able to make that uh call that day and then friday the la galaxy will train and then saturday at 5 p.m on fox 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 big fox uh it's the the first el traffic over the 2021 season for everybody there as well. so it's a network game i guess sebastian legette's going to be free to play then i mean he is coming off his suspension but you're absolutely right if he was not i'm sure they'd figure out a way uh to make that happen uh let's get to the eastern conference here real quick as you said new england revolution seven points through three games they are number bruce arena. one bruce, bruce Ar- arena go bruce bruce arena aj de la garza um so the uh the new england revolution doing what uh bruce did 
um, you know, or, or New England yeah, doing what basically what Bruce does, which is come into a team, revamp it, and then uh, somehow find themselves at the top. So New England Re- Revolution, the best in the East. Uh, Seattle currently the best in the West. So if it makes you feel any better, the LA Galaxy just lost to, quote unquote, the best team in the Western Conference and the LA Galaxy only one point behind, but find themselves in fifth place, one point ahead of LAFC through, through uh, but three games. Look at the bottom. Uh, Minnesota and Portland were supposed to both be playoff teams. Some people are even talking about Minnesota you know, possibly being a shield contender and then look at them. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, Minnesota is one, um, Colorado, I think expected Portland, Portland at least has the CCL argument, right? They're in the CONCACAF champions league. They've been focusing on that. They've been struggling outside of that, but, uh, Minnesota Portland, by the way, got just whooped by Dallas four to one. That was an interesting game in Portland. Um, Minnesota is, is struggling big time. I would expect that they're going to be better, but I don't know. I think that they're going to be better towards the 10th, 9th, 8th, 7th place and not towards the MLS cup winning pace that I think some people had them on, um, early in this. So standings are sort of set there. Well, look at the middle of the playoff race there with, uh, um, the, uh, Austin team. Yeah. Yeah. Austin, um, Austin, Austin's going to be a good team. I still think it's probably the weakest game that the LA Galaxy may play um, coming up. I think San Jose has been very good in their limited uh, number of games uh, in their three games so far. Uh, they've won twice, lost one. They they seem like a good team. We talked about Cade Cowell um, has been playing really well. So San Jose is there. Salt Lake is playing uh, maybe a little bit above their head right now, but they've only played two games, but they've won both of them. Um, so they were in the same situation as the LA galaxy, um, which is that they got three, uh, six points through two games. So they're, uh, they're, they're doing, they're on the pace. The galaxy were last week, uh, Austin, LA, LAFC, and then Dallas. And then below the playoff line right now, Houston, Vancouver, Kansas city, Colorado, Portland, Minnesota, Kansas city is not one. I expect to say there. Peter Vermees always finds a way to rise up in this side, um, especially in the Western conference, but the Western conference, Kevin is stacked. Let's not like mince any words about this. If you're not a good team and the LA Galaxy are sort of an average team, possibly maybe above average, but average team right now, that means there's a lot of teams above you that are better than you. And that means you're going to have a lot of tough games. And right now, when you're looking at these games, you know, Seattle is a good team. I think Dallas is going to be a good team. Uh, Salt Lake and San Jose are sort of a little bit surprising, but San Jose is a good team right now. We'll see about Salt Lake and and sort of how they play eventually here as well. Dallas seems like they're firing on all cylinders. Um, And there's some teams under that line, Kansas City and Portland uh, in particular that I would expect to rise up there. The Western Conference is a very, very difficult place to play. Yeah, And, and I know LA, uh, or Galaxy have more points right now than LAFC with the two wins, but LAFC is undefeated. I mean, you know, they grinded out a couple of games, uh, some points in games that maybe they shouldn't have gotten. Uh, it's going to be a tough team. Yeah, well, I would say that Seattle, uh, playing Seattle in Los Angeles and not uh, beating them was sort of a sign already. One, that Seattle is a very good team. Um, and two, that, again, LAFC not firing um, anywhere near to uh, to all cylinders. And I think the same for the Galaxy. So, I don't know. It's going to be like a uh, an all-bandaged-up El Trafico. It's going to be, you know... So, the, the cylinders aren't firing. to be a lot of sparks missing. Yes. Well, yes. Way, way to carry that through uh, to, <laughs> to, the, to the final end there, for sure. Um, all right. Anything else that you want to touch on? Because I think that's all that we have. Uh, no rumors to sort of update you on. Uh, we're still 
still working on that. I do expect the LA Galaxy are still in the process of trying to sign one more player and that we should know what that is here in the next couple of weeks is my guess. We um, could have asked Dennis to close up, but someone forgot to get him on the show. Somebody was being kind and said, hey, let's not bug the guy who probably didn't get to bed till 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So I was Can like, I do super, super chichirito again? Uh, I, would, I would appreciate you if you didn't, but I don't think there's any way for me to stop you outside of just muting your mic and moving on. So uh, if you have nothing else and I have nothing else, let's get out of here. Uh, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at KBaxter11. And please head on over to LATimes.com for all of Kevin's soccer writing. You'll find it right there latimes.com he's covering soccer in southern california he has it for you go subscribe to the la times as well why not all right if you're looking for me on twitter it's at jgesman j-g-u-e-s-m-a-n and of course at galaxy podcast corner the galaxy.com go see the post-game media call it's interesting you're gonna feel better after hearing greg vanny talk such a question talk you'll feel better about it all right uh rivalry week here we go lafc on saturday games at 5 p.m on fox f-o-x fox uh make sure you're there if you're not there, make sure you're watching. All right, for Mr. Kevin, the Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Pato Guessman. You've been listening. You've been watching Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.